So I want you to think for a moment about a person. Now, this person could be somebody that you know personally, or it could be somebody from history. Now, let's just not do the Sunday school thing and start thinking about Jesus right now. I definitely want you thinking about Jesus during this message, but not right now. I want you to think of a person, again, someone you know, or someone from history who has made a positive impact in the world. Now, this could be someone who made a huge contribution that kind of impacted society and changed history. Or this could be someone who just through their lives has made a positive impact in your world, in your life. Are you thinking of that person right now? Hopefully you've got someone in mind, because what I want you to do now is not just think about the person. Not, I don't want you to think about what they did to have a positive impact. I want you to think about who they are. Who are they? What are some of their characteristics that you would use to describe this person who's had a positive impact? Now, if you're joining us here on Sunday morning at the 10 a.m. service, the chat is open. And so I would love for you to just post some descriptors in the chat, some characteristics of these men and these women, these boys and these girls who have had a positive impact in the world. What are some of those characteristics? Share them away in the chat right now. One word answers real quick. Now, I can't see what you're typing right now because I'm pre-recording this, but I am worshiping with you from home, so I'm going to watch the chat as it comes through. But I'm going to guess right now what some of the words are. and Let's see how accurate I am. I'm going to imagine, like I imagine right now, that there's going to be words like kind and friendly, driven, honest, hardworking, compassionate, Funny, a servant. Are those some of the words that came up? We'll compare scores and we'll check it out. But this is what I want to talk about today. As we continue our sermon series based on the book Convergence, I want us to spend this week and next week talking about our character. I don't want to talk about what we do. Instead, I want to talk about who we are. And I think this is a crucial conversation to have at this point in the sermon series. Again, we've spent the first few weeks kind of building up a foundation of what Convergence is all about, what this book by Pastor John Thompson Thompson is all about. Uh, We saw in week one how every single follower of Jesus is called to live a life of influence. You and I are called to have impact, to have influence in the world. We then saw how Jesus is not simply our Lord and our Savior, but we see how Jesus truly is our model for living the Christian life and how he lived out the, he lived out the spiritual practices to know the will of the Father. He used his spiritual gifts to do the will of the Father. It's the exact same call that you and I have as well. And then for the past two weeks, we've been talking about these spiritual practices, these spiritual disciplines, 
to help us draw closer to God, to see how those practices are put into our lives so that we can hear the will of God the Father, so we can know what God wants to do in us and through us. And so we saw that spiritual disciplines are not some religious obligation that we have to do. Spiritual disciplines are something that we get to do because of that intimate relationship that we have with God. And so today, we're going to just camp out in one key text, one text we're going to look at today as we look at our character, as we look at who we are, because it's a crucial thing to do. If our Christian faith is simply about what we do, what we do in our spiritual practices, what we do in how we bless other people but we've got problems in our character, we might not have the godly impact that we want to have. We may never live out the godly influence that God wants us to have. And so the big idea that we're going to look at today, I want to give it to you right out of the gate here today, right from the beginning. The big idea for today is this. To have a godly influence... We need God to build in us godly character. To have a godly influence, we need to allow God to work in our lives in such a way that it begins to change who we are. To have a godly influence in the world, we need God to build in us a godly character. So the text that we're going to look at today comes from Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab your Bible, follow along. I'd love for you to see this text. We're not going to be jumping all over the place, so it's easier to just camp out right here in this one Bible passage. You could also use it on your mobile device using the YouVersion Bible app. And if you're joining us today and you do not own a Bible, I would love to send one to you completely free as our gift to you. I believe every family should own a Bible, and I would love to get one into your hands. If you just send me an email, you can email me at kevin at greenbelt.church. It's kevin at greenbelt.church, and we will be sure to get a Bible to you no matter where you live around the world. Just need your address, so email me that, and I would love to send you that. So Galatians chapter 5 is what we're going to look at today as we explore this big idea. To have a godly influence, we need God to build in us godly character. Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to start reading here in verse 13. And I'm going to read all the way to the end of chapter 5, and then we'll look at this a little bit, and we'll figure out what this means for us in the character that God wants us to have. So Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Just a little sidebar here. This is exactly what we talked about last week. Every single follower of Jesus is called to serve. Not just 20% of the church. 100% of the church serve one another humbly in love. It continues here. It says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, of the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Again, to have a godly influence, we need to let God build in us godly character. This passage that we read together today is written by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this to the church, in the, the, to all the churches in the city of Galatia. And he wrote this to discuss with them, to show them what it means to be God's people. You see, all throughout human history, we've had a lot of different social gatherings of people. We have different clubs. We have different societies. We have different membership requirements that are required of people to be a part of certain organizations and societies and clubs. And so you can almost think of this as that Paul is showing them what does it look like to belong to the club of God? What does it look like to belong? Now, there's a tension there because when we think of kind of this society or this club and there's a certain way I need to behave to belong, then we start working on behavior modification. And this is not what Paul is talking about because he, be, he does at the beginning of this letter and in so many others, uh, others of his letters is he talks about it, the fact that you and I can never get into this club. You and I, through our own good deeds, through our own works, through our own spiritual practices, can never do enough to pay the price for the membership of being a part of God's people. The only thing that can pay that price is the spilt blood of Jesus. His body broken on the cross. His blood spilt so that you and I could be made right and whole with a holy God who loves us. That's what gets us into the club. That's what gets us into that membership. <laughs> That's what gets us into the family of God. 
It's turning from sin and turning our hearts back to God. That's what gets you in. But then Paul shows us that because you're in, because you're in the family of God, and if you're actually open to letting God work in your life, you and I will begin to see evidence of change. You and I will begin to see certain ways of living go away and new ways of living will start to come into our lives. Again, not to earn God's love, but because of God's love. The love that you and I have already received begins to transform us. Right? Paul shows us this conflict that you and I live in in the world today. Remember, we talked about this in the very first week of this series. We talked how you and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to have influence in the world. But the problem is we live in a world that wants to have a negative influence on us, wants to push us down, wants us to change how we think, wants us to live by worldly standards. We also have a spiritual enemy, Satan, who has come to kill, steal, and destroy and wants nothing more um, than to see your influence stopped. You see, once you become a believer in Jesus, there's nothing that the devil can do to remove you from the love of God. Once you belong to Jesus, once you are in the hands of a loving father, nothing the devil can do can remove you from that. So what he tries to do instead is to crush your influence around other people. And he hits us and he hits us and he hits us again and again and again to stop our influence. And then finally, we also have this flesh that you and I live in. The Bible actually teaches us that one day Jesus is going to return. And when he does, he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. I think so often as kind of people in the culture that we live in and the world that we live in, we think heaven, uh, that eternity in heaven is going to be, we're just going to be floating on clouds with, with harps and little bow and arrows and wings and we all become like little baby angels and things like that. But the Bible teaches something radically different, that everything in this world is all going to be done away and God is going to establish a new earth and there will be a resurrection when you and I will be raised from the dead and we will be given glorious resurrected bodies, just like Jesus's resurrected body. And we're going to live in that new heaven, in a new earth, in a body that never gets sick, that never grows old, that never gets weary, that never battles with sin. But right now on this side of that eternity that is to come, you and I still live in this flesh. And Paul really focuses in on that battle. He doesn't focus so much on the spiritual battle against Satan or the negative influence of the world. He zeroes in on this flesh that you and I live in. I think sometimes, and I've done this for many, many years when I counsel people or when I'm discipling people, helping people get unstuck spiritually. So often, I think we give the devil too much credit where we kind of say, well, the devil made me do that. 
But if we were really, really honest, it wasn't the devil who made us do it. It was ourselves. I did it. (laughs) I didn't need the devil to make me do that. My own flesh was crying out for that. Because I wanted that. And so this is what Paul talks about, this battle between us, this flesh that wants to live one way, and the Holy Spirit in us, who is working on our character, is changing us, transforming us more into the image of Jesus. And as he's transforming us, sometimes the spirit and the flesh have got to duke it out a little bit. That's the Kevin paraphrase. It's not what Paul said. And so look for a moment here what Paul says. I'm going to jump to verse 1 for a second of chapter 5. I didn't read this before, but this is how Paul sets up this chapter. He says, excuse me, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah when he was in the synagogue and he said that he's come to set the captives free, to release the prisoners, that he's come to set us free. And then Paul says, don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, a yoke is a big, heavy piece of wood that's put on the back of farm animals. It's used to either like plow a field. They'll have this big yoke on their shoulders wrapped around their neck so they can pull equipment behind them to plow the field to get it ready for planting seeds. Could also be used on an animal that might be pulling a cart, pulling a wagon, anything like that. It's, it's It's an instrument of labor, that you have this yoke upon you. Now, what's fascinating about the Jewish culture that Jesus comes from is in that culture, the Jewish leaders would actually teach that a yoke put upon the people of Israel would lead them into righteousness. See, because a lot of the religious leaders, what they were believing was if you could just keep all the rules, all the regulations, all the traditions of the elders. If you would keep all 613 laws and commandments that you can find in the Old Testament, not just 10 commandments, 613, if you can live by all of those, you will be led into righteousness. But then Jesus came to pay for all those sins. And what that yoke now, that yoke of the law does, instead of bringing us into righteousness, it actually shows us our slavery. It shows us that I could never, ever accomplish those 613 laws or commandments. I could never live those out fully, ever. And then we live under a condemnation. We feel judged and weighted down by this yoke of the law. And Paul reminds the church that you're not under that slavery anymore. That Jesus has come to make you new. That Jesus has come to set you free. He loves you just as you are. He died for you just as you are. 
You see, that's why as a church family, we gather together and we celebrate communion. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, where we take bread that represents the body of Christ. And we break the bread. It's an imagery of the body of Jesus broken for us. When he was beaten, when he was whipped, his flesh was being ripped off of his bones. And this bread represents that, this ripped bread. We remember that death of Jesus. And we remember it, not so that we can beat ourselves up, but we remember it so that it could stir our hearts and that it would draw our hearts closer to God so that we could look at this bread for a moment and we could think about what Jesus endured for us. And it would bring us to a a posture of praise that we would just simply say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. We take a cup of juice or of wine, and we remember the blood of Jesus that was spilt during his flogging, during his crucifixion. We remember that it's his pure, holy blood, being the only one who is fully God and fully man, being the only human being who's ever been on this planet, who's ever been 100% without sin, his perfect, pure blood was spilt. Because the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Sin has to be dealt with. Some, someone has to die for our sin. But because God loves the world so much, he sent his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not, would not perish. They would not have to die. They would have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because the world was already condemned in its sin. What that means was, is the call of Jesus, the mission of Jesus was not to wave a holy finger at the world saying, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. (laughs) Didn't come here to condemn them because the world in its sin and in that yoke of slavery was already condemned. He came to set us free. You and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, we become completely, totally free. And maybe you're joining us here today and this message of who Jesus is, is different than what you've heard before. Maybe what you've heard is you better be a good girl. You better be a good boy. You better keep all the rules. You better keep all the traditions. (laughs) And it's felt heavy for you. And it's felt difficult for you. Jesus actually says that to take his yoke upon us. Because his yoke is easy. His yoke is light. And so today, I want to invite all of us to take communion together. Hopefully you're prepared, wherever you are watching this service today, to take some bread and take some juice. And let's take a moment to remember the broken body of Jesus, the spilt blood of Jesus. Let's take a moment in our stillness, in our quiet, in a quiet moment right now, to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. 
And maybe some of you, what you're going to find in that moment is you're going to sense a peace from God that you've never sensed before. And maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus before. And if you sense that peace, if you sense that, that presence of God, that love of God where, where you are right now, I want you to know that's not some man-made thing that we fabricated. fabricated. That's the Holy Spirit meeting with you, wanting to come into you. And you can welcome him into your life just by saying something very simple like, God, thank you that Jesus died for me. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and make me new. And if you do that, you can take communion with us today as part of God's people. God's people. Part of his family, just as you are today. So let's just take a moment to remember that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread He broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take this bread and eat it, and do this in memory of me. So let's just remember the sacrifice of Jesus and his broken body together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup filled with wine. And he said, this cup represents my blood, the new covenant in my blood. This new covenant. You don't need the law to make you righteous. You don't need the yoke of the law to drag you into righteousness. It's the spilt blood of Jesus that makes you righteous. Nothing else. That's why it's easy and light. It's nothing that you and I do. It's simply turning our hearts to the God who loves us and the God who died for us. So we take this juice in remembrance of his built blood. So to have godly influence, we need God to build in us godly character. And we see from Galatians chapter 5, the tension that you and I are living in, where the flesh is fighting against the Holy Spirit in us. Now, I'm a big believer that the Holy Spirit actually wins more times than we let him. (laughs) Too often, I hear Christians living kind of a defeated attitude. This idea of, well, I'm always going to be that way. I'm always going to live this way. I'm never going to get victory over this sin. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always. A lot of times we make excuses for ourselves that way. And then sadly, I think a lot of times as a church family, I think sometimes we're, we just kind of brush sin off because talking about sinful things and talking about difficult things is not fun. (laughs) It's kind of awkward and it's uncomfortable. And so we go, well, I understand every time we have this conversation about such and such a thing that Bob is always getting angry and Bob's always kind of "Ah," stomping out of here mad. That's just Bob. (laughs) Like instead of ever loving Bob so much that we actually kind of want to come alongside Bob and help him deal with his anger, we just excuse it. 
Or, you know, we find out that we've got uh, Susie in the prayer chain, keeps kind of saying things to other people that are, you know, was shared in confidence, but then other people are finding out about it because Susie just feels like that everyone needs to know about this sin because everyone should be praying for it. But really, in reality, Susie is just a gossip who keeps talking about stuff that Susie shouldn't be talking about. And we go, well, that, that's just Susie. And we stop telling Susie the things to pray for. Instead of loving Susie enough because of the relationship that we have with her to come alongside her and say, maybe God wants to do something here. See, this is what Paul moves into in this second part of, of Galatians chapter 5. He contrasts for us the difference between living out of our flesh and living out of the spirit. The difference between living out of the flesh and living out of the spirit. The flesh, we see this in verses 19 to 21. What is the evidence that we are still living out of the flesh? Right? It's sexual immorality, it's impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Oh my goodness, sounds horrible. <laughs> and some of you might be reading this list going, well, good thing I'm not like that. Well, you got to unpack these words a little bit. How much are you struggling with hatred these days? I think a lot of us are, if we're honest. We're letting anger turn into hatred. How many of us are, su- are, are suffering from um, uh, what was it, dissensions? I mean, I've talked to a lot of pastors in uh, our fellowship. In fact, two weeks ago, we had our conference for uh, the fellowship, uh, the central region that we are a part of as a church here. And uh, the director of Feb Central, Rick Buck, actually shared with us in that meeting that his number one priority this year is to reestablish church unity. When that's your number one priority in a large kind of denomination that we are a part of, that we have to reestablish unity. Somehow in the last 14 months, what COVID-19 has done, it's divided us. It's created divisions. It's created factions, exactly what Paul talks about here. And it might be because we've let something creep into our heart that should not be in there. It's living out of the flesh instead of living by the spirit. Right? So we have to look at these words here of Paul and ask ourselves a difficult question. Do I see more evidence of fleshly living than I do spirit living? Again, because if you and I want to have a godly influence, we need to let God work in us a godly character. All throughout church history, we see again and again and again the influence of a church or the influence of a leader come to a grinding halt, not because the world attacked them, but because their character, the flaws in their character suddenly became apparent to people. 
I remember it was just a few years ago where it just felt like to me that so many of the pastors and leaders who have been an influence on me in my early days as a pastor and my early days as a Christian leader, they were all being removed from their churches, being removed from their ministries, worldwide, global reaching ministries. And they were removed from those ministries because of their character. That actually put in me a little bit of fear, (laughs) if I'm honest with you today. It put some fear in me because if they could fail, what could happen to me? I mean, they're that person. They're this superstar Christian. And I'm just Kevin. Well, maybe that's one of the reasons we start developing character flaws because ambition is one of these things of the flesh that Paul talks about when we put people up on pedestals that they were never supposed to be put on. Idolatry is the worship of something else besides Jesus. And we put people on these pedestals and we worship them. And so for me, I've been on a journey over the last few years, probably the last three years of constantly checking my character My character has to be in alignment with what God actually calls us to do, right? Because if you and I, whether individually in our lives or corporately together as a church family, if we want to have a godly influence, if we truly want to live out our vision of being a growing, vibrant Christian community engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel, If we want to see more and more people come to know who Jesus is, it's not going to happen by living by the flesh. It's only going to come by living by the spirit and letting God change us. All of us, no exception. I've never met a Christian who does not need to be changed in some area of their lives. Because we're not in that resurrected, glorious body yet. We're not in the new heaven and the new earth yet. We're in the fallen world, in fallen flesh. There's always more work to be done. I actually love how Craig Rochelle put this. He said, if you ain't dead, you ain't done. There's still transformation to happen. And so what does that godly character look like? It's right here in the text. It's called the fruit of the spirit. This is what should be evidence in your life. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look how Paul continues. He says, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. You and I need that character development to happen. Again, 
when I was watching all these Christian leaders kind of being removed, being removed, being removed because of faults in their character. And that was generating some fear in me. The reason why I went on this journey to really explore my own character was because of the words that I heard from a mentor in a sermon that he had preached. And he said this, he said, our abilities and experience can carry our ministry further than our character can sustain. Our abilities and our experience can bring our influence, can bring our ministry further than our character can sustain. I remember hearing that and getting down on my knees and just praying to God, saying, God, may that never be true of our church family. May it never be that we're so incredibly passionate about our gifts and our our abilities and our doctrine and all of these things that that outpaces our character. This is why we need to spend a couple of weeks to talk about character. We talked about the ways that we hear from God, meet with God in spiritual practices, and then we're going to talk about spiritual gifts on how we use that to bless one another, serve one another, to see more people come and know Jesus. But right in the middle of those two things is who you are. Who you are. What's your character development looking like? Do your spiritual practices help you become more loving? more joyful, more peaceful, all these things that we read about in the fruit of the Spirit. If your disciplines are not transforming your character, you need to reevaluate your disciplines. And that's a good question to ask ourselves. Do my disciplines transform my character? Or are they just tradition? Or do I even do them? Maybe I don't do any of them, and that's why my character is not changing. Before we can get into spiritual disciplines on how God really wants to use you to have an influence, we want to check our hearts. Before we release you into ministry and start having an influence, I want to make sure your character can sustain the work that God wants to do in your life. So that's why it's so crucial to ask ourselves, God, in the last 14 months... In the last 14 months, when we've been doing church online, while we've been experiencing lockdown after lockdown after lockdown, as we've been dealing with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, God, do I have more love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And for any of us, If the answer to that is no, or if the answer to that is, yeah, but it could be better. Remember communion today, (laughs) that this is why we took communion. That is not about us. It's about the death of Jesus, dying for our sins, bringing us into the people of God, bringing us into the family of God, and we will put ourselves into positions and postures that trust God to work. Because it all comes down to character. The people that you admire the most who have had a godly influence in the world, it's probably because they had a godly character. And they weren't perfect. They failed from time to time but they put their character development first. 
And I firmly believe when you and I do that, when we walk in step with the Spirit, according to what Paul teaches, when we are led by the Spirit, we walk in that step, we're walking so close with the Spirit of God, then it begins to change us. Our characters are transformed. People notice the difference. And then suddenly, at that point, God begins to increase our influence. So let's pray together. Father God, these words of um, this big idea, to have godly influence, we need you, Lord, to build in us godly character. Ring very true in my heart, and I pray resonate with each and every one of us here at Greenbelt Online today. So Father God, I pray and I ask that you would forgive me for the times when I've walked more in the flesh than I've walked in the spirit. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us as leaders in the church, whether elders, deacons, or staff, when we've walked more in the flesh than we've walked in the spirit. At any point in our nearly 50 years of ministry, I pray you would forgive us, Lord. And Father God, I pray for each and every one of us, each and every one of us who are part of this church family, those who've been attending for decades and those who are brand new in the family as of today. I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would continue to work in each of our character because we want to see you, God, have a godly influence in our families. We want to see you, God, have a godly influence in our city. We want to see you have a godly influence in our nation and around the world. And God, we believe the words that we read about in your scriptures, that it's in our character development, in your transforming work, that that's going to happen. So may that be true of each and every one of us here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.